The gospel reading is from Luke 13, verses 18 through 21. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would guide us as we encounter um, what we believe to be your word, who Jesus, your son, embodied, but also spoke to us. And I pray that we would take it seriously, that we would reflect upon it, that it would not burden us, but liberate us, that it would give us freedom to walk into this new week with hope and with an abundance of joy, no matter what we're facing, even if the circumstances are difficult. I pray that we would see you in them and that we would think about and learn to live life based upon this message that the kingdom is present and it is present in Jesus, but that it is sometimes oblique. It is sometimes hard to see and hard to discern. And so, Lord, would you give us, most importantly, give us eyes to see. I pray that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, we looked briefly at this passage, and I chose to go back, um, not because I had more to say, which is always the case in a given passage, but because I feel like it explains so much about our situation that we find ourselves in as a church. And if you're new here, I'm about to make the worst sales pitch for a church you've ever heard. So sit tight. It's going to be wonderful. Um, as I um, said in the Life of In-Town, the announcements, there are a lot of cool things that are going on in our church. There's new people that are coming and connecting each and every week. There's new groups starting, discussion groups, community groups, and so forth. There's people that are coming and finding grace and finding healing, coming out of maybe in an oppressive situation, religious situation that was hard and hurtful, and they're coming to in town, and they're finding us to be a safe place. And I'm sure that you hear stories, and I hear stories. And there are people here that are exploring faith and asking questions, can I believe or can I believe again? And we have friends, as I mentioned, that are in desperate situations that are connecting with us and calling us home. And that in our small little way, we're able to help or at least connect them with some resources, but in the meantime, love them and embrace them. And yet we're meeting after church to talk about the financial headwinds that seem sort of ever-present in the life of our church and the need for some structural changes that aren't going to be that easy and may feel to us like a bit of a step backwards. Now, this parable felt comforting to me and settling to some degree because even those who did ministry right alongside Jesus often had doubts about the presence of the kingdom. 
They often felt like following Jesus was three steps back, three steps forward and two steps back, or maybe four steps back. And they felt discouragement. And they felt disillusionment. Jesus is right there. And they felt like, I can't see the kingdom. What is going on? Where are we headed? And the future in a relatively small church can feel precarious at times. We wonder what God is up to. All of these great things are happening, but yet we have difficulty paying our bills sometimes. And it feels like kind of a broken record. And I've been here for nine years, and that record has, that player's sort of been in the same groove, and it feels strange. And sometimes it feels like there's some instability that's sort of baked into our mission statement and the reason that we exist. And the idea that's come up more and more in our staff meetings and in our leadership meetings uh, that seems to capture who we are in the most salient way, it doesn't say everything, but the thing that we've been talking about is that in town is a safe place for people to explore the faith. In town's a safe place for people to belong before they believe. And we guard that safety very rigorously. And it's so much more than that because we're a community. We're a theological enterprise that's trying to train people in who God is and who they are and what God is up to in the world. But I told my wife, Katie, the other night, I said, I know what our problem is, meaning our problem structurally at the church. I know what our problem is. We are a church for people that don't go to church. And we laughed about it because it sounds like we have a very cool product with a terrible business plan. Because what's the problem with being a church for people that don't go to church is that people that don't go to church also don't tithe, and they also don't lead groups, and they also don't show up regularly on Sunday, and they don't invite others to church. And now this may be overstating the case a little bit, because look around. There's a community that's here that sustains this ministry and believes in this ministry, believes that we're not a club, we're not a membership group that's privileges are directed towards those who already are here, towards insiders, but that we are facing outside as people and that we want this church to do things not just for the already convinced, but we want to bring healing to those that are still outside and questioning or sitting in these pews and questioning. And it's a safe and nourishing and nurturing community for you as well, those that are already here, and not just a safe place, but a fertile place. Because in being here, you're sort of choosing intentionally to forego some of the offerings and some of the services that the larger, more traditional brick-and-mortar churches can offer you. And that's a choice that you're willing to make for some particular reason that is a sacrifice. And that is a, a very good place to be if you're wanting to grow in the faith because it constantly demands others' centeredness. Now, all that to say, we are a bit of a specialty church. We have a style. We have an emphasis that doesn't necessarily appeal to every person out there. And it's like a company that maybe chooses to make independent films rather than big-budget blockbusters. 
You see, art house films have a smaller and limited appeal. But the writers, directors, actors, they go to work every day excited and enthusiastic about what, about what they're doing, even knowing they're not going to be in the next Hollywood blockbuster because they believe in the lane that they're in, and they believe there's a reason that they're called to this work and not something that is larger or more impressive to our cultural assumptions about what is good and what is beautiful. And as I said, it seems like the disciples struggled with Jesus' specialist nature as well. He wasn't like the other rabbis. He didn't want to make Michael Bay films. He didn't want to do things with big explosions. He wanted to do something that was special and that was beautiful and that didn't attract all of the religious people in the neighborhood. In fact, some of them said, no, thank you. We saw two weeks ago that he had to keep reframing their understanding, the disciples, that is, about what the kingdom is and why to belong to it, that a mustard bush doesn't grow overnight, that it begins as a seed. And if you plant it, you could wait a number of days and not see any difference, even though there's life happening that's under the surface. And leaven doesn't immediately make the dough instantly rise. The fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of what Jesus promised, doesn't immediately and fully appear on the earth when He comes, and it's still growing. It's still rolling out. And we need to hear this because we love fast. Fast computers, fast internet, fast service at restaurants, fast progress in our careers. I was going to say fast cars, but that's not true in Portland. We love slow cars. Even on the freeway, we love slow, slow cars. But in general, we inhabit a culture of now. I want it now. I want it yesterday. And we're obsessed with fast. We want the six-pack abs from the exercise regimen that we started yesterday. We want to see immediate results when we look in the mirror. We want our parenting to immediately change course and our recalcitrant children, that they just suddenly blossom as these joyful people that love everything about our household and never have a crossword to say. That's how, how we imagine success in parenting. We long for a church whose structural problems are far behind us, and we're cruising into this new season of life where everything difficult is in the rearview mirror. And we long for a God who's fixed all the problems in our lives. And Jesus says, this thing is going to feel slow. It's going to feel insignificant at times. And maybe you've become disillusioned with this, maybe even angry with God. And it's not unusual. We pray and we pray and we ask God. We do the things we feel like we should be doing. And yet the thing that we really feel like is needed and necessary in our life always seems just out of reach. And you find yourself asking, if the kingdom is here, why am I still lonely? If the kingdom is here, why can't I have the baby that I've longed for? If the kingdom is here, why do I keep going from job to job and find myself still unfulfilled? 
What difference can my life, can this church actually make in the world that seems so dysfunctional? And here's the challenge, is that we think that slow equals weak. We think that slow and insignificant are synonymous, but we are wrong. And I say we intentionally, in a self-corrective way. You see, a glacier moves at just a snail's pace. You can stand there and look at it and not see any apparent movement, and yet it has enormous power. If you get in the car and you drive around, a lot of the features of the landscape that you see and that make our world beautiful, a lot of those things were formed by the advance and then the recession of glaciers 20,000 years ago. And yet if you were to stand and look at them, you would see no apparent change, nothing happening. And we have these gigantic and deep scars all over our landscape because of that slow, creeping, but enormous sheet of ice. And the kingdom of God often seems like that. It seems to move at glacial speeds. But it doesn't mean that it's not moving, and it doesn't mean that it's not powerful. And friends, it does have the power to remake you, to transform your life, to deal with the disillusionment that you're finding in your own story at this moment. And it may not happen today. In fact, it probably won't. It may not happen this week. But the challenge of the Christian life is believing that it can because God is with you and He is present and that He is remaking the world. And the things that God is doing that we are not yet aware of are going to be far more beautiful and far more astonishing than they would be if they came on our timetable. There are no shortcuts and there are no quick fixes to the story of our church, to the story of your life, to your marriage, to the problems outside these walls. And we need to resist that instinct of religion that says, get busy, get moving, lengthen your to-do list, make it happen. And if it's not happening, the problem is with you. You're doing something wrong or you've made God mad. If the church is struggling, someone's to blame. Let's assign it. But the opposite of religion, the gospel, tells us that Jesus' kingdom grows organically over time and that He is the vine and that we are the branches connected to His work and the nutrients that come from Him. And if we can stay connected to Him, then there is substantial and lasting transformation that can come and will come like a seed in the ground and like leaven in the dough. You see, a seed goes down and it does its work individually or invisibly, below the surface. The leaven is hidden in the dough, and that's actually the word that Jesus uses there to describe leaven being put in the dough. It's a very odd way, but it draws attention to something about the kingdom that we can't miss, that Jesus is often working in hidden and unseen ways in and through our suffering, in and through our skepticism, in and through our struggle, in and through our failure, 
in and through a small church that has trouble paying its bills. Jesus is at work. And we need to hear this because not only do we love fast, but we love obvious. And we want God's presence to be immediately recognizable and immediately clear. Part of a never-ceasing progression of happy days. But that's not life. That's just, you know, a corny TV show. The life we want. We want God to be obvious in. We want Him to be immediately present. We want happy days. We want to be the Fonz. And that's why we have trouble with trouble, because it doesn't seem that God's power is present there. Can God's pre- power really be present in the loss of your job, the loss of a parent? Can He really be present in the breakup that broke your heart and that you still haven't recovered from? Can God be present in that face plant you did in a presentation at school or at work? Can God be present in your ongoing failure to live up to your parents' expectations or maybe even your own? When we are suffering, when things aren't going according to plan, when life feels like it's falling apart, we almost always see it as a sign of God's absence, which is very strange if you think of it for a people whose faith has its, as its most prominent sign a cross. Nowhere is the surprising, the inverted, the sometimes oblique nature of Jesus' kingdom quite so apparent as in the cross. Because what God is doing is He is rescuing the world in an apparent defeat. The mustard seed has to end its career as a seed and die in order for a tree to grow up. It must go all the way to death in order for new life to spring up. So it is with Jesus as the seed of the kingdom. And it must have been absolutely terrifying and agonizing for the disciples and, think about it, his mom. For those three days from the time he is crucified to resurrection. How disorienting and how agonizing that must have been. But surely, when mourning gave way to celebration, that they knew, as they could have never known otherwise, that God really was for them, that God really was doing something new, and that new creation was breaking out in the midst of the old. Now, I read a beautiful in conclusion article in the Atlantic Monthly uh, in 2003, which is called Winton's Blues. And the author right, walks into the Village Vanguard in New York City. If you've been there or know anything about jazz, it's one of the, the most famous uh, jazz clubs in the world. And Winton Marsalis is there, and he's playing a solo. And the audience is riveted. One of the greatest players in the world is here, and I get to just listen to him, unaccompanied, just playing. And it's total silence. And this is going to seem funny, given what just happened. But 
All you can hear is Wenton's trumpet, and then what happens? A cell phone rings. The shrill sound of a cell phone breaks into this transcendent music. And what does Wenton do? Well, he begins to play the melody of the cell phone on his trumpet. And then he changes key, and he begins to riff for a while on that melody. And because he's an utter improvisational genius, he winds his way back to the song that he was playing when it began, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. And the audience is absolutely floored, transfixed. You see, he takes an ugly, grotesque moment, and he redeems it. And in fact, he makes it beautiful. And an audience and this writer, they have a story to tell that wouldn't have been nearly as interesting, not nearly as beautiful, had they not had that interruption of the cell phone. And that's a picture of how God moves in our world. He is taking brokenness, and He is making it beautiful. But in the moment that the cell phone is ringing, it feels disorienting, and it feels ugly. Friends, press on and press into His promises. Let's do that as a church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would enable us to move forward, not just with hope that is pie in the sky, but takes a a real account of our world and of our resources and of what we're up against, and yet leans into the power of the gospel and your power as a person who loves us deeply. And I pray that we would walk into that love, that we would believe in that love, and that it would change us from the inside out. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.